This is your captain speaking. <laughs> and we'll be in the air for a Oh, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> This is the RC Roundtable, a casual discussion about all aspects of flying model airplanes. Hi, me lads. Welcome back to the RC Roundtable. I'm <laughs> he went Jamaican. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's the closest, <laughs> closest I can get to the... Uh, Scotland, Scotland, Jamaica. Accent. They're right next door to each other. Well, I'm part Jamaican, so I guess that's what happens. <laughs> Are you really? Yes, I am. Oh, okay. My grandfather was from the island. It wasn't until I was about 12 <laughs> years old before I could understand a word he said. <laughs> did, did you come back Scottish, Terry? Nine. Nine? Just a wee you bit. came back German? <laughs> <laughs> Nine! Nine! Nine from Scotland! <laughs> well, good to have you back. Hey, everybody! <laughs> and welcome to our show. <laughs> So, yeah. So we're waiting with bated breath. How was the trip? It was actually very good. I've been home a little short of 48 hours now, so I'm still not quite adjusted. My body thinks I'm still in Scotland. But uh, uh, no, mean, we had a great time. Are you driving on the wrong side of the road now, back, when you come back? What do you mean? Don't, don't they drive on the wrong side of the road over there, or is that only England? Uh, well, that would explain all of the honking and yelling. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, yeah, they um, they drive on the left side of the road there, and that was definitely an experience. We rented a car and did all of our driving for two weeks. Oh, you're brave! And uh, was yeah, the car right? was the car right hand drive? Oh yeah, yeah. So there, there were some new experiences. I can't even begin to describe how awkward it was to get into the car on the right hand side, just to sit in it there in that rental car lot, and <laughs> even. My wife, Nicola, she was in the left seat. We we're both looking at each other like, this is weird. <laughs> it just, just feels weird. Did you actually get in the wrong and, seat a few times? Um, never got that far, but you know, I usually open the door for my wife. And even at the end of the trip, I kept opening the wrong door for her. So, <laughs> and neither one of us would notice until I opened the door. and was like, oh. <sighs> Was it a stick shift or automatic? Well, that's funny. Um, we reserved a stick shift because I'm a glutton for punishment. Um, but when we got there, I don't know if they just didn't have any more or what, but we ended up getting an automatic. And that was probably a good thing because it was just one less thing to worry about. Um, and not only was it an automatic, but it was a hybrid. It was a Toyota CHR, which I had never heard of before, never saw another one while I was there. But it was a neat little car. And if you can believe the, the gauge that's inside, it was getting a 60 miles per gallon. For the whole trip, wow! Now, yeah, that's be, what I thought. Be careful! I think they use a they're, they use uh, imperial gallons, right, instead of our type of gallons. I think no, and it's funny because everything I saw was kind of a mixture of standard units and metric. They sell gas per liter, so when you go to buy gas, you're like, hey, it's only a pound twenty, but it's a pound twenty per liter, so that works out to about six bucks a gallon at today's exchange rate. It's about four liters in a gallon, I think. It, yes. And um, 3.8 liters. Read your toilet. It'll tell you. <laughs> so, <laughs> we were very happy to have that 60 miles per gallon. But anyway, so you buy in liters, but when you get on the highway, um, all the speed limit signs are in miles per hour. 
and the gauges on the car obviously match that, and you know, the readouts say miles per gallon. So it, it was an awkward mix of the two unit types, and we found that all over the place. So, and I asked people there, like, why is that? I expected everything to be metric. They're like, oh, it's always been like that. So I don't know. But it was nice to have some common units to cling to. Yeah, it is nice because I remember going to Canada once and everything's kilometers per hour, and that was just bizarre. No, that's the same side of the road in Canada, though, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I don't want to get too far off on non-RC topics, but the driving was definitely a a challenge. So, like I said, the first day I was convinced I was going to kill myself or someone else. It was just so bloody awkward. Um I gradually got more used to it and didn't dread getting in the car, but I never got comfortable with it, if that makes sense, even on the last day. I was happy to return that car on the last day when we went to the airport and be done with it. I have another question to ask about the driving. Um, sure. <laughs> I, I don't know why. I, I subscribe to a YouTube channel of car crashes, oh, <laughs> like God. dash cam car. And it's just, it's like a, a <laughs> it's a weakness I have. But it's always Russian drivers, you know, that get into these oh, crazy yeah. accidents. And so my question cams. is, there you go. That was my question. You went right to it. I was like, I think if you have people coming over to your country that are used to driving on the other side of the road, that is where you almost need a dash cam for every rental car. Well, it seems. Yeah, I was thinking that they were way too willing to give a joker like me a rental car with no questions asked. They were happy to look at my Texas driver's license and say, "Here you go, have fun." Where I would have been more than willing to watch a ten-minute video or or something to introduce me to the differences because there are a lot of differences. So, if any of you rental <laughs> car industry people are out there. Well, I'm just wondering if that's where all the videos I'm getting <laughs> when I see them. I wonder if it's just some guy who, who works for a rental car company. <laughs> yeah, they're all foreign. <laughs> takes all the video yeah, off. And say, watch, watch this one, guys. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, we didn't have any close calls or anything like that, but it was just white-knuckle driving for me the whole time. So, and it, strangely enough, um, you know, I expected my tendency to always want to go in the right lane, and that happened, but... The bigger problem was that regardless of which side of the road I was on, picture yourself in the lane. When you're in the left seat, you're used to being in that part of the lane. That makes sense. A little left of center. So I constantly was drifting to the left side of the lane to put me in that part of the lane. So I was always hugging the left side of the left lane. And Nicole was always like, go right, go right. You're about to hit these parked cars. Go right. (laughs) So even on the last day, that was still a problem. So, so here's my segue from driving. So, where did you drive to? Did oh, you drive gosh. to any hobby shops while you were there? Well, you know the answer to that already. <laughs> I'm trying to segue. Keep going. <laughs> we've well, lost, we've already lost 20 listeners. So, I, let's right. get back I on thought this was a hobby podcast. <laughs> You're about as subtle as a hammer, Lee. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, th- th- specifically to answer your question, no, I did not drive to a hobby shop, but I did take public transportation to downtown um, Edinburgh, Scotland on the first day and found a hobby shop there. Wonderland. Wonderland models. Hobbies. Yeah. And before I left, I had done a quick Google search to see if there were going to be any on the route we were planning to take. And there weren't that many that popped up. 
Um, and that was one of them. So I kind of had it in the back of my mind, but I didn't remember it until late in the day. And so I want to say it was like 5.30, something like that, p.m. We were finishing up our meal. And I said, oh, yeah, let, let me look that up again and see where it is. Turns out it was about three blocks away from where we were, but it closed at 6. So, and I don't know if you've ever had a meal over in Europe, but they're, they're not in a hurry to get you out of there. So it's usually an hour and a half, two hours minimum. So we kind of had to rush through the end of it and then run over. And we got there about five minutes before they closed and had a chance to look around. So, what was it? it, it tell us what it, it looked like inside. Kind of. It looked like a hobby shop. Oh, no way. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Thank you for that brilliant observation, Terry. <laughs> so, our next topic. Well, do they have, do they have super glue too? <laughs> um, yeah, they sell it by the liter. <laughs> It wasn't really an RC-centric hobby shop, although they did have some RC cars and a couple quadcopters, things like that. It was mostly trains and plastic models. Hmm. And I glanced at all that stuff, and I noted that the subjects for plastic models tended to be more European-based rather than P-51s and F-4 Phantoms, things like that. That It was you know, German planes and British planes, as you would expect. And some neat stuff I'd never seen before. Um, but yeah, I mean, it had the same kind of layout, the same kind of feel as a normal hobby shop. So it's nice to know some things are universal. How many did you hit? That's the only one. That's the only one that I'm aware of and the only one I ran across. Hmm. But that's not the only RC experience I had there. Um, and this is the strange thing to me. I didn't expect to find anybody flying anything, but on... And this is uh, uh, all relative, but one of the most remote locations that we were at there, and I'm talking, we spent uh, more than an hour on a single lane road. Then that means one lane for both directions, so you have to pull off the road to let other people by. But we drove on roads like that for a long, long time, and got to this little field out where I would call it the middle of nowhere, but. it's unique because it has some geographic features there where the ground looks like it's corrugated. Anyway, a neat place. And we did some walking around there. And next thing I know, I'm being filmed by a DJA Mavic. And looked around a little bit and found the guy who was flying it. But I'm like, wow, I just drove like forever without even seeing other cars in the middle of nowhere. And there's a Mavic here. Did you talk to the guy? No, I couldn't catch up to him because we were kind of on top of a little mountaintop thing and by the time i climbed down and got over there he had packed up and, and gone somewhere else thought you were co- he probably thought you were coming over to beat him up or something it could be yeah i don't know if the attitudes are the same in europe um but then strangely enough we were leaving that place and we were going to look at an old castle there and um went by the castle into a little beach location and there was a guy flying a Phantom 4 filming at the beach. <laughs> so on the same day, equally remote location. Wow. I'm like, huh, this is really neat. And that was fairly early into the trip, sometime in the first week. But I never saw any other quads or RC vehicles after that. It'd be neat to find it if either of those guys posted footage on YouTube. I should search those locations to see if that's out there. Cool. Yeah. Tell us about the uh, aviation museum you went to. Oh, right. On my last full day there, we went to the 
National Museum of Flight, which is a little bit east of Edinburgh. And it's basically Scotland's Air and Space Museum, although they don't have space stuff. So it's their air museum. And this was the first air museum I've ever been to that isn't in the U.S. And they had a lot of really neat stuff there, stuff I've never seen before. And I can only think of one U.S. plane that was even there. Um, but And a Vulcan. You know, I talked uh, on Facebook about the pictures of the Vulcan in one of my rooms, but then I got to see the real thing. And that was pretty darn cool. Was it, is it, was it bigger or smaller, you would think? Um, I would say bigger. And it's a beast. And that wing is just so huge. You know, it's a Delta wing, a bomber. Yeah. And yeah, it, it's all wing. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. And it's funny, looking at it, I was always convinced that it was the leading edge of the wing was kind of a smooth curve from front to back, but it's segments, straight line segments. Oh, really? Yeah. No. Oh. Yeah. Now, there are a lot of other places that have no straight lines whatsoever, like many British planes, but uh, the wing itself is actually you know, sections of more conventional wings. And this one had been out in the sun for a while, getting weather beaten, but it still looked pretty good. It could just use a little paint. Did they have a lot of aircraft there? Um, yeah, quite a few. There's um, one hangar that has a Concorde in it, and I think it was the first Concorde to go into service. And so it's dedicated to pretty much just that. And I had seen a Concorde before at the National Air and Space Museum at Dulles in Washington. Mm. Uh, but on this one, you can go inside of it, look at the cockpit, oh, look nice. at the seating area. Yeah, it's really neat. And they've got a, a nice audio tour that you can do, and it was narrated by one of the former captains and test pilots. So, And it's really neat. It, it seems odd that Scotland would have a Concorde. Museum, well, they were right? part of the development. Oh, were they? It, it was, yeah, because yeah. it was um, Great Britain and France yeah. together, right? And apparently a lot of the initial flight testing happened out in those oh. sparse areas over Scotland. Yeah, yeah they say uh, the Concorde was basically, because of the collaboration, that was the genesis of Airbus, basically. Yeah, it, it was probably a, a, a foundation for that. Yeah. Um, and it's, I thought it was kind of neat because it's obviously a source of pride for everyone over there. So they really kind of talk it up. But at the same time, they had several parts of the audio tour and also some exhibits to talk about the controversies that surrounded it with the, the gas guzzler, environmental beast kind of thing, and the noise and and the accident itself that eventually caused it to be retired. So anyway, I thought it was a well-balanced approach to it, and it was neat to see. And it's impressive. What was the most unusual thing you think you saw there? The most unusual? Yeah, from, from a U.S. perspective, I guess. Um, gosh, I don't know. There was um, one plane there. I can't think of the name of it. It was actually made in Scotland. You know, there are manufacturers in Scotland. I'm going through my pictures here. Let me find this thing real quick. I see they have a Beach 18. Did you get inside it? No. Um, the Concorde was the only one they had available to get in. I got the impression that sometimes you can get in some of the other planes, but not this one. Or I also saw there was an English uh, Electric Lightning, which I always thought was a neat plane. Yes. So 
Yeah, unique because it's a twin, but it's a over-under arrangement of the engines. Yeah, and the wing platform is really odd. Yeah, it's an untapered swept wing. Yeah. And the, the tips are still squared, too. So, yeah, very unusual looking. It's and it's got a lot of... Yeah, the belly of it had a lot of unusual curvature that I had never noticed before. And I don't know if it was just this particular variant or if that's common to all of them. Uh, I think I the later variants had a conformal tank or something, so you had a lot of big bulge underneath it. Okay. And yeah, they had a Meteor, which was their first jet plane to oh, go yeah. into service. A meat box. Uh, yeah, and this was an ugly one. <laughs> it's got a, a really extended nose on it that looks out of place, but... Um, no, it's just neat to see that stuff that you've read about and seen pictures of, but never actually seen in person. And let's see, they had a ME-163 there, the rocket plane, and they actually had the motor pulled out of it, out of it so you could see that. And that rocket motor is tiny, but uh, got to see the plane, and that was neat and close enough that you know you could touch this stuff. I don't know if you were supposed to, but it wasn't like they had velvet ropes around everything keeping you ten feet back. You were right up on it. So the, the most unusual plane there, at least um, from a rarity perspective, was the Scottish Aviation Twin Pioneer. So this is a, a STOL plane that was designed in Scotland, and it's pretty big. I, I don't know if it's quite as big as a DC-3, but I put it kind of in that category. And it's a high-wing twin that's got these huge leading-edge slats and the awkward-looking landing gear coming down and... Uh, triple vertical stabilizers and I know I'd seen pictures of them before but it, never anything that really registered with me but uh, I just thought it was cool it looked neat I'm like oh that would be something I'd like to model one day so uh, I'll post a picture of it on Facebook you can see if it rings a bell with you hmm. so is it had you ever heard of that can't say that I have I don't okay. know about you Lee nope hmm. all right so maybe a picture will jog your memory. No, one I'm thing that I thought it. I don't it doesn't jog my memory. <laughs> I'm on their website. Well, one thing that I thought was really neat was there were uh, several De Havilland airplanes, like the older '30s era. Hmm. Um, I noticed that, yeah. Like the Dragon, I always thought it was Dragon Rapide, but they only called it a Dragon. So maybe the Rapide is a, you know, a specific variant of that. Um, but it's every bit as ugly in person as I always thought it was <laughs> in <laughs> models or pictures. But one of those is so ugly, it's cute. And there was also a, a puss moth, which is, I think, a, a cousin of the tiger moth, but it has a closed cockpit. Um, but the thing I found unique about them is that they seemed much smaller than I ever imagined them. It was like, uh, have you ever seen one of those three-quarter scale flying models of a, a Mustang or a Corsair? To like home builds, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, this is the scale th that I expect them to be. Like, these are downsized models, but they're the real thing. So hmm. it was just weird to see them up close and think, wow, that I just always pictured a, a much bigger airplane than I'm seeing. Yeah, they had a couple auto gyros there, just I don't know, everything. I think, um. Because of the nature of Scotland, where they have a lot of these outlying islands and remote communities, they have a lot of planes that cater to that. And uh, so I think that really shapes how the museum looks. Now, Fitz, you're a fan of the Britain-Norman Islander, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, they had one of those there. Very oh, cool. pristine looking one too. Oh, nice. And it's funny, they had a video next to it. One of those flies what I guess is regarded as the shortest scheduled commercial flight. And it goes from one of those islands out there to another. And the flight time was something around 90 seconds. <laughs> 90 seconds. <laughs> yeah, so they had a real-time video showing you know, a flight of this plane. And, and of course, they're always trying to beat that time. Oh yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> this is your captain speaking. That's crazy. And we'll be in the this... air for a part. Oh, we're done. <laughs> you will not be taking your seatbelt off. Yeah. Why would they exactly. fly that short? Why not just build a bridge or something? It doesn't. Oh. I, I don't know if there's enough traffic to utilize it. It's yeah, I'm not sure the the reasoning, but I, I'm not kidding when I say a lot of these outbound places are accessible by one lane roads at best sometimes ferries and um, there were only between the two major cities that i went to was there such thing as a four-lane divided highway most of the roads were on between big cities were two-lane roads which was fine but then you get on those remote places and you get on those one-lane roads and wow yeah that's crazy and it's funny because even on those one-lane roads, there's probably a 200-year-old stone wall on one side, or maybe on both sides. There's just zero margin for error and no visibility. So you might come around a corner and be nose-to-nose with a double-decker bus, So, which, again, was the reason I had a pint with dinner every night. <laughs> it's just to calm your nerves. But yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, when yeah. in Rome... <laughs> yes, you got you got to be made of stunner stuff. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. But uh, people there were very accommodating and nice. I think most of their traffic rules are based around uh, courtesy and understanding, and that seemed to show through. So I didn't get too many fists shaking at me. So anyway, so yeah, that was a trip to the museum. If you're ever in Scotland, make sure you cut out a day to go. We. Didn't know how long we were going to spend there, but we were there for four hours, and that was pretty much the minimum, I think. Any person who's a fan of aviation would want to commit at least that much to going there. That's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, I didn't, I forgot to mention, they had a Merlin there. They have a a Spitfire, one of the later model Spitfires with clipped wings and a bubble canopy. Mm. Um, So that was neat to see, but below it, they had a a cutaway Merlin. So they had chopped it up so you could see the valves and the pistons and the superchargers and stuff. And that was really cool too. Did you get lots of pictures of that? Um, I got a couple. That was one of the things that did set you back a little bit. And if I had one complaint about this museum, one dadgum complaint, it was that in the hangar that had most of those warbirds in it, they had background sound effects that kind of add to the mood, but the lights were also tied to it. So in instances where they're talking about bombing of London or something like that, they would make it like the lights go out. So you got to take a picture. Next thing you know, the lights go out or then they dim and then they change all the time. So not the best for camera work. So I'm not making any predictions on the quality of my photos. How weird. Yeah. I think for somebody who doesn't care about photos, it's probably a neat background. But for somebody who wants to take a decent photo with, it was a little bit frustrating. Yeah, I wouldn't like that. Yeah. I thought of you when they did it, 
Like, ah, oh, Lee should write them a letter. Y'all, y'all need to have photo hour, like on the top of every hour. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, five-minute window of lights on. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Kids out of the pool. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, anyway, it was uh, a very good experience overall. So uh, I I can't say that I was excited about going just because there's so many other things going on in my life right now. It seems like a distraction. But now that it's done and over with, I have to admit that I really enjoyed it. All right, that sounds great. I'm going to have to pummel you for some more pictures. But uh, thanks, thanks for that rundown. And if I'm ever in the area, definitely. Hopefully, actually, I plan on going to England sometime later this year, so maybe I can visit an English museum somewhere. Hopefully oh, yeah, they've got the same thing. what I understand to be some very great museums. Um, oh, I, I did mention that this museum is out of a World War One. It was a, let's see, a balloon base during World War One, and then a, a, not a seaplane base, but there were bow fighters there during World War Two. Did, mostly did sub-hunting. So, yeah. So, at one time it was an active base, and they have, the hangars that had the airplanes were vintage World War II. And they said they were a few of the very few of those hangars that are still standing. Oh, cool. So, yeah. So, it's, you know, they had the Quonset huts and all that, so it still looked like an active World War II RAF base, or at least what I would imagine one to look like. Oh, anyway, very neat. And the day we were there, they were doing, uh, I assume on the old runway, they had uh, amateur motorcycle racing. So that <laughs> was pretty cool to see, too. Yeah. You didn't see Top Gear filming, did you? <laughs> no, they got kicked out of there, didn't they? They're an Amazon show now. Yeah, yeah. No, no, there's still a British version. Okay. Yeah, but they're not. Well, I guess they're worldwide anyway. Yeah. All right, then. Well... Thanks for that roundup. Uh, I think uh, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, I have a question for you guys. I'm sure we have talked before about our differences in connectors. Fitz, you're a power pole guy. I'm a Dean's guy. Lee, you're a <laughs> you're a switch off oh. guy, aren't you? <laughs> I'm a Dean's guy. Are you still okay? I thought you were experimenting with uh, XT60s there for a while. Uh, EC5s for my larger packs. Oh, okay. XT60s with the you know stuff that comes from Hobby King. You okay? You okay? You need a breather? I said the word hobby king. Oh, I said it again. Oh. Sorry, Terry. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah. So, uh, m- mainly Dean's. So, okay. you're, so you're connector curious? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, sort of, because you know, Dean's are, are pretty small, but there are lots of times when they're still too big for a certain airplane. So I used to use the mini Dean's, the little two-pin guys, and I was never impressed with them, but they were the best option available. Um, and then, you know, a lot of those smaller airplanes come with JSTs, which I've always hated, but so much stuff came with it that I just kind of resigned myself to using them. And that's what I've been doing on a lot of planes lately. 
And I was surprised because I had always heard that you don't want to use a JST on anything over 5 amps. But a lot of these kits that come with them demand much more than that. So I've always kind of been on the lookout for a better alternative. And recently, the Vortex 150 little mini quad that I talked about a few episodes ago, it comes with a smaller version of the XT60 called the XT30. And when I saw them, I'm like, oh, this is pretty small, and apparently it has good current handling ability, so I ordered some extras to do testing with. And so far, I'm very impressed with them. So my question is, what do you use for small stuff, and have you seen the XT30s in the flesh? Uh, I personally actually do like using the the mini-deans for small stuff. We're talking small 100 watts or less type park flyers and mini planes, that kind of stuff. Uh, I think they're probably one of the better of the smaller connectors, uh, but I see I hadn't, didn't realize how small the XT30s were until I saw a picture of them. Uh, so, so you don't have problems with the the contacts coming out of the housings on the mini deans? Not really. I've had it happen a couple of times when I get a, let them get a little too hot, but for the most part, no. Yeah, I mean, at first I thought, okay, I'm just a crappy solder and I'm heating things up too much and melting the housing, but it happened enough times that I'm like, eh, I think it's probably just, I don't know, oh, not well, the best design. That's probably because I'm a better solder than you are, so. Well, that, I'm willing to admit that. <laughs> so it happens to me but, rarely, so not enough for me to get annoyed with them. Okay, well, yeah, I gave up on them because the conductors only came apart at the worst times, obviously, and if it were to happen in a you know, inside your flight box, it could really cause some damage. Anyway, so I just kind of gave up on them a while ago. What about you, Lee? I've been thinking about that. I have a whole bunch of JST crimps, so I tend to use those, and I, then I make the huge jump to, to Dean's Ultras, so I don't have anything midway. But that being said, I have used EC3s. Um, well, I put those in a similar size as the Ultras, and, uh, physical size and application. But I'd prefer Dean's over EC3. I prefer EC5s for my high current, you know, 12 and higher gauge or lower gauge, however you want to use that terminology, you know, for thicker wires. How's that? Um, But, I mean, I think the only problem I've had is I've had XT60s, and although I use them, here's the thing, I don't like to solder them. I don't like that they're stuck in that case. I think it makes it difficult to solder. That being said, I know I use you know a soldering iron on my Deans. I don't seem to have any problems, but I, I really don't like that. And so uh, typically I've just bought adapters to convert from the XT60s that came with packs or pre-made on the ARFs and, and use a Deans. Um, I know that's not wise, but I don't have many kits that do that. And, you know, frankly, I'd, I'd probably just stick with a Deans or EC5. Okay. But let me, now that I've mentioned that, are, have you had any issues soldering either an XT3 uh, or, excuse me, XT30 or XT60? Um, no, I don't think that I've ever used an XT60. I have used the 30s here a few times now, and I thought they were pretty easy to solder. They've got the contacts are permanently mounted in the housings, mm-hmm. and the wire end sticks out, and it's a barrel shaped with half of a cutoff. So I, I thought it tinned very easily, and it took up to 16-gauge wire pretty quickly. Well, it should be easier because um, 
you're limited in wire size with the XT30s. You can only go so big. Uh, the problem with like XT60s is you can use much larger wires, and they become much more of a, a thermal heat sink. And so you've got to really have a uh, a powerful iron, and you got to be really good with your soldering technique to do that kind of stuff. Have you soldered? Do you I mean do you solder a lot of XT60s bits? No, I don't use XT60s per se. Only on rare occasions. I think I've made a, a adapter or something. And in fact, it's one of the reasons why I continue to use like the Anderson power poles is because you can get uh, crimp type connectors for that. And so there's no so I can use relatively large diameter, uh, large gauge wire, you know, ten gauge and that kind of stuff because I can crimp it on and not have to worry about soldering it because some of the large stuff. I've had just cases where I had to whip out a little blowtorch in order to solder the thing because it was just too much even for my soldering gun to do. Well, I, that's the going back to Terry's talk on the XT30s. I see that it's a good size between. I mean, looking at his picture, and he's he's right. It's it's a good in between a Dean's and a JST. Um, and I haven't actually had one in my hand, so I'm not sure about the soldering, but. For me, if we're going to talk about something that's got a housing like that, the EC5 is a dream to put together. I mean, do you have do you have you ever used EC5s? Fits? Uh pretty sure I have. The blue, those are the blue ones, right? Correct. Uh yeah, I'm pretty sure I have. I think I saw I did some for some friends or something. Yeah. Um I, and I can I mean, get go ahead. Well, they, I could do okay with them and I usually don't have a problem soldering with them. Um, it's just, I don't, I don't use those connectors personally. Uh, I think I've, yeah, I have, I've made up a couple of adapters because I like to keep a different adapters in my toolbox for when people come to the field and I, I want to, they want to use one of my batteries or back and forth or reverse or whatever. Um, uh, I, typically I haven't recall having much of a problem soldering onto them. Uh, the fives and the, was easy threes, three and a half or whatever. There's, they're not usually not too much of a problem. Yeah. And Castle now has, uh, well, I say new, I, I was introduced to them last year by uh, Kirk Jensen at uh, at best. Yeah. Uh, Castle's got the six and a half millimeter uh, bullet connector. Oh, that's right. And I bought a set. I haven't used them yet because they're for really heavy gauge. And I, I will probably use them on something. I think it'd be kind of neat. But it's very similar to an EC5. Like it's just it's kind of like the, you know, what's the star connector that Tower has instead of a Dean's, you know, trying to get around that. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, by the way, I'm not a, not a big fan of the star connector. And I'm just, you know, I've had the case keep coming off the actual separation where the little grip point. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you could CA it, but it kind of defeats the purpose of that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've had one crack on me, too, when I try to push it over or something. Yeah, so I'm, I still like Dean's. I mean, and I think for me, if I was to, like, transition out of Dean's, I'd probably stick with the EC series. Uh, I guess, who is that? Is it E-Flight that is officially the, the maker of is that? It, no, I, I don't remember. It, it could be. I think it's... I think it's E-Flight. But uh, I guess I probably should come up with a connector that's in between. I, I do use a JST, but gosh, I just don't know of any of my kits that would require that. And no no offense, and it, it probably looks ugly, but even if I had like a 10-amp or you know 8-amp power, I'd still go with the Dean's Ultra. <laughs> it's, it's probably silly with a you know 22 gauge wire hanging off of it, <laughs> but it's you know it's convenient. It's good, it's a good strong connector, and as long as it's not like showing outside the 
the aircraft. <laughs> it just looks looks silly. If it's just, as long as I could tuck it away, I probably wouldn't worry about it. I'm not flying anything that I'm so concerned about mm. the weight of a Dean's doing that or oh, yeah. the look. I mean, I'm really am a sport flyer, so uh, I'm kind of like MacGyver. I'll just use what I have on hand. Now that I remember, I think with the XTs, the connectors are already built into the housing. You can't pull them out to solder to them. Correct. That's correct. So yeah, correct. so I remember. I think on an XT60, I actually ended up overheating it at one point, trying to solder a large gauge wire onto it. And yeah, and and, and this is a good opportunity for me to go back. I, in fact, uh, with my radiation page, I did post a video on soldering an ESC. So and I've done a video like that before. So I was going to switch over to a soldering a battery connector, you know, kind of my procedure. Now it already has an XT60 on there. But it, I might just play with that. I might uh, go revisit the XT60 soldering. And, and I'm sure there are people who are listening who have their preference. I mean, I know we have some power pole lovers out there, too, so you're not alone, Fitz. Yeah. <laughs> They'll probably swear by their crimp tool. Does um, your video show how to properly heat the butter knife on the stove? <laughs> or, or do you use a campfire? <laughs> He's his lipos. Just <laughs> I, have a, I have a gasoline trough. <laughs> I just light the trough and just. <laughs> well, see, that's the nice thing about the EC connectors is you can solder them and then plug the connector into the housing. Well, I don't even. I mean, I don't even use the term solder. I use a blowtorch. Well, you know, yeah. that soldering iron just stays in its own little connector. I use my little uh, butane torch, and I, that the job is done very quickly. And I've never had a failure with well, that method. With the ECs, I find that, and again, it's probably just my shortcomings with soldering. But I find it hard to not get solder on the outside of the plug, and if you do that, you got to clean it up, or it won't go in the housing. Uh, mm. You're you're doing using too much solder. Okay, but you never—that's <laughs> not a problem for you. No, I. I no, because we know what no. we're doing. <laughs> no, <All right>, fine, <laughs> fine. But no, I'm just kidding. But if I dribble over the side, I know how to clean it up pretty quick. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you just gooping up all your <laughs> solder and just black over in there. The <laughs> That's the that will be the title of this episode. No, it will not be. So I, I think soldered. we I can't. We probably lost a lot of listening. What are they talking about? <laughs> what the heck? So but if you I, heard the conversation, I was going to say I haven't done the sixty XT sixties, but I have done the thirties. I thought the thirties were really easy with a small tip soldering iron and you know, moderate heat. I didn't notice any problems with melting the housing. Um, and where I could, I had the positive and negative plugs mated together to help keep them aligned. Um, I've also done the XT90s because remember that big monster truck I used to tow the glider? It comes stock with XT90s, which I think is becoming fairly common for high amp applications. Yeah. And I don't recall any issues soldering with that, and that would have probably been 12-gauge wire, and I would have used a big iron with a big tip. Do, but, do, uh, do they have a max current rating for the XT30s? Um, I think they claim 35 amps. Okay. And so the informal testing that I did with it pretty much suggests that. Hmm. So um, I, basically what I did is I got that Tower P51 and used the stock power system, which I think pulls around 24 or 25 amps with the 3S and the stock prop. I kept the Dean's Ultra on it, or actually I think they're the, the Hobbyco star plugs, but same thing. And I made little jumpers that put either a JST or an XT30 in between those, and it allowed me to measure it with my watt meter. And 
I forget the exact numbers, but when I say at max power, I was losing about 30 watts with the JSTs. Yeah, now I saw your your chart there, and I can't believe you put 22 amps, is it, through the JST? Oh, yeah, that is highly inadvisable for any sort of permanent usage. Yeah, I was surprised they didn't help. Go to the worst case scenario um, to get the deltas. And, oh, it would have melted, because, you know, you figure, turn on a 30-watt light bulb and see how long you can hold it in your hand. It won't be long. Um, so I let it run for 30 seconds, and that little JST got piping hot. Wow. Yeah, so, anyway. But that would have been neat if you had it. I would have loved to have seen you add another column to have a temperature gauge. You need to buy one of those little laser thermal devices, testers. Uh, <laughs> and get an idea of what kind of you know, heat we're generating too. Well, but you're I, right. I'm looking at your graph, and you you lost a lot of. It was like close to thirty. Yeah. So again, the issue there is not so much the plane's performance would be degraded by that. It's that heat is or that power is all heat in the connector, and sooner or later you're going to break something in a very dramatic way. Oh yeah. So uh, my initial testing suggests that I can swap out my JSTs for XT30s. It's a very slight physical size hit, but it gives you much more overhead for Yeah, for it's, it's a much better connector. You've got a lot more surface area in the connection, uh, so definitely. I didn't realize it was that small until I saw the picture. I was like, well, that's really good. Yeah, it's yeah, really a no-brainer. Uh, so th- There is a moral issue that goes along with it, at least for me. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, Lee knows where I'm coming from. Oh, I do. Yeah, because I didn't know the genesis of these XT connectors, and it turns out, at least from what I read, that they're made by Hextronic, which is the parent company of Hobby King. What, what was that? Hobby King. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I just vomited in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys know, and uh, probably some listeners know, I'm not a fan of them. I, I think their track record of you know, just intellectual property and other things leaves a whole lot to be desired. And the three of us personally know people that have been bitten in the butt by you know, those shenanigans. So actually, in the article I wrote about all this, I originally had a paragraph on the end that talked a little bit about this, not so much as a preachy way, but just a, just FYI, if you care about where you buy your stuff from, here's what I know. Um, but then I just decided to take that out of it. Um, yeah, so, but in all fairness, is the XT30 their design? Yes, and that was part of my add-on, that I have nothing that indicates that there's any sort of tomfoolery going on with this design. It appears to be a legitimate design of theirs, and it's solid, and it a lot of people like the the whole XT series, and now I can see why. Um, you know, I like Dean's Ultra now, not because it's necessarily the best, but because I liked it early on when it was the best option, and I just get too invested to ever change. Hmm. Um, Did, there are things I don't like about Ultras, and I've often been tempted to change, but, oh gosh, it would be such a, a headache to do that. So, but I would like, now that you've gone to the XT30s, I'd like you to do a test with a Deans and an XT60. Um, just the same kind of comparison. Mm-hmm. I'd be surprised if there's much or any difference for common applications. But I'd like to know if you find a, a differences in quality. 
I mean, just like long-term durability yep. and things wattage. Like that. No, your power wattage. See if there's a, a, a difference. And I'd be yeah, curious. And I think that's also a a shortcoming in my testing that this was one session with both connectors being brand new. I think probably more, more accurate would be uh, I don't know six months down the road with a hundred or two hundred cycles on each connector to see how they hold up in real world conditions. And I think at that point, you'd probably see a bigger delta between the JST and the XT30, but I don't really know. Well, get busy. Well, yeah, I got nothing else going on. Right? Yeah, nothing else is right. You, you got time. <laughs> I should have taken some to Scotland with me. It's a long flight. They wouldn't mind me whipping out a couple of lipos and connectors on the plane. I'm sure. Uh, I think they would. Yeah, they might. So... By the way, I got to fly a triple seven on the way there and a seven four seven on the way back. Huh. Surprised you didn't fly a seven eighty seven. Well, I saw a few when I was at the airports, but I didn't get to go inside any. Hmm. And saw a Airbus three eighty, several of those as well. Those Ooh, suckers nice. are big. Yeah. So anyway, but I digress. We're talking about connectors. So I would be interested to hear from any listeners who have some some real usage time with the XT30s to see if they hold up under you know, long-term usage. So I think they're going to be the standard for mini quads. Well, I w- I'm surprised you didn't give a compliment. I mean, one thing that I, I like that the XT30 does have is it's a better grip. Oh, yeah, connector. absolutely. And that's one of my gripes about the Ultra, that it's you know practically dipped in hog grease. <laughs> yeah, and I, I've made my own edges, you know, using the Dremel and just, you know, roughing up the connector a little bit that makes it easier, but I'm su- I'm just surprised, I mean, and here's a question I've always asked, probably just in conversation with the people, but what is it with WS Deans? Are they, they're just silent. They're like a ghost company. They make these connectors, but I have tried to send emails. Their website is back from like, you know, 1998. Um, it's, it's, they're just, they never have made any modifications. They haven't tried doing new connectors. Do they just make all their profit on just maintaining the, the copyright on it? And then just suing the heck out of other companies? Because they've never tried to improve this. I mean, not that it needs a lot of improvement, but you'd think they would have tried maybe a, a bigger connector to compete with the EC5s or, or like I just mentioned, maybe make it different so it's easier to, to grab. Because that was one of the biggest complaints early on that right. you know, I've read in tons of threads. Yeah, that's a good question, and I don't know the answer, but if I had to speculate, which we are often want to do on this show, um, I would think that any significant modifications would have meant a new um, trademark or copyright or patent, whatever it is they were working under. And that's not a cheap process, and I don't imagine that they're a very large company, so that would be a significant expense. And... My understanding now is that they are no longer under that protection. So any compatible connectors are no longer knockoffs. They're legitimate devices. So what do you get, seven years for a patent? No, more than that. No, like uh, almost 20 years, 18. Uh, Then what is it for a copyright? Um, I don't know. I was talking to somebody in the industry, and I'll keep their name and their company secret, but they were indicating to me that whatever protections Dean's was under for so many years um, is now null and void, and people can make 
yeah. legitimately make Dean's compatible connectors without retribution. So I guess the question is who is you know who is actually making them for Dean's? I we could have another long conversation here and, and you know run this show a long time, but I don't buy knockoffs. I, I refuse to buy knockoffs. They've never fit properly. I've you know I've picked up a plane that you know had someone's cheap Dean's on there. I cut it off. I put my own on there. Um, I, I'll always buy the full price. And some people laugh at that, but there's just a difference to me. There's a quality yeah. difference. But I'm looking at their website by the way, and it's back in 2002. Mm-hmm. It's been 15 years since they've changed their website. And I don't. And, I, and I'm going to place the call to that phone number at the bottom of the screen there, <laughs> and find out who's there. But who's still making it for them if, if they don't have the copyright to it? Um, well, they can still manufacture their their own, right? I guess, but you just kind of figured they would have just given up. I mean, it well, doesn't uh, seem like they're. I don't they're know. Come up with anything new? They own the molds. There's probably very little overhead at this point, and they've got guys like me who are so ingrained that they'll never change. So <laughs> and me and yeah and guys like you who are unwilling to to support the illegitimate knockoffs although I guess there are none now but for a lot of years there were and some of those were decent some were of very dubious quality um, I don't know but hmm. oh. I just wish they would have improved upon it put those it, they just could have made a huge stance try that let me rephrase that they could have made a big change enhancement if they put grooves in or notches, because that was one of the biggest complaints. It's still a big complaint. A lot of people talk about how hard they are to take apart. And I agree, they they, are, they sometimes are. But uh, just, it's weird. It's just, I would have liked to improve my business and kept it growing. This is, uh, you're right, they suckered us. <laughs> we're stuck. No, I don't feel bamboozled. They were the best thing going for a long time. And I'm happy to have supported them, and still do. Um, no grapes from my end. <laughs> They have served me well. And look, at, that... look at power poles. They haven't changed one lick. No, right? Fitz? Because they're so awesome. Well, yeah. Fitz is, Fitz is like, you know, fan number two. <laughs> <laughs> no, I still see people using them every once in a while. Was at, there's a guy in our field. He flies helicopters, and he had a bunch of them on his machines, and I was really impressed with that. Yeah, I, I think Can you go to the like... Anderson Power Pole annual meeting? <laughs> <laughs> But I think it's like radios where people kind of have a pretty strong brand loyalty. And I don't know. Or at least maybe the old school electric guys do when there really was very few choices and you were a Ford or a Chevy guy. And That's true. You know, just, you know, maybe 10 years ago, there weren't that many choices. And so now we... Yeah, so you, you had to pick your camp and... Yeah. And stuff was relatively more expensive back then. So you found one you liked and you tended to stick with it. Like radios. Yeah. At least that's my opinion. <laughs> that's your opinion? You're sticking to it. That's right. All right, so where did we start off with this? Oh, yeah. JST stink. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to say, JSTs are not RC connectors. They're electronics industry yeah. connectors that the RC industry has robbed. And if you look at JST's website, I think they claim the max is 3 amps with, like, 18-gauge wire. So we're really pushing them beyond what the manufacturer ever intended. That's true. And they're meant for very, very light duty. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. I've used them on and off for light duty work, 
maybe receiver connection or something unrelated, light, light connecting up lights or something, something simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I wonder if there are knockoffs of JSTs that also kind of mar their image quality, hmm. or image uh, not image quality, their <laughs> their perception of quality. <laughs> you know what I mean? So anyway, these are the things that keep me awake at night. So I talked to my friend Ross, who is a member of uh, EAA, and he does a lot of the vintage aircraft tours. And uh, he called me up the phone after I told him I'm heading out and very courteous about inviting me over to hang out with them. They fly in, so they camp under their planes, but I went ahead and picked up a, a spot at Camp Shoal. So I will be there. I'm, I'm hoping to upgrade to one of their uh, new electric facilities or electric sites, uh, you know, so they have power there. I'm not familiar with it, so people might be listening, going, "Oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about." But <laughs> supposedly, on like June first, you can you can upgrade your campsite for electricity. So, I'd like to do that. But uh, man, it is he's he just really got me excited because he was talking about how many places he can get me into. <laughs> I was like, "Wow!" And this is the part that just you know where you just kind of like shiver. You, my God, he said he's going to try to get me a photo a photography pass for oh. the vintage aircraft. So I can get, I can go beyond the line where the people are. Oh, you <laughs> like saw <laughs> was Do like, they have a oh platform for you? Yeah, they have platforms and everything. Oh. You know, center line right in front of the Boeing Center. So, oh my gosh, that's see. like, that'd be, uh, that'd be. I mean, how how much equipment can I bring? <laughs> I'm gonna put a helmet on, strap GoPros on my my helmet, and uh, I don't know. I'm, but I'm gonna be there all week, and I'm. I certainly don't want to burn myself out, but there's a lot of other things I'd like to do, which I think would be great. And that's uh, see if they're going to do another one week build uh, where they invite people to come in and put rivets in. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So hang out with some of those guys and my friend Ross, I mean, I just know he's going to have a lot of cool people to talk to. And, and uh, I've signed up for an event on Wednesday, which is uh I can't really explain it, but there there are times that you can sign up for like a, having a breakfast and a lunch, and then during the uh, the night flying, you can have a, a VIP area. This is right on the flight line to watch it. So I did pay for one of those. <laughs> Looks what like I might watching? get more the night flying. Okay. This is full scale lighted airplanes. Yeah, Spocks and doohickeys, probably a whole bunch of cool things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, and I'm, you know, I'm, I really don't want to go with a lot of expectations. I want to go with like a little kid going to Disneyland. You know, I just want to be amazed. Just, just, I don't know. I, I can't explain it. I, I got to be prepared in one <laughs> aspect. You know, where am I going to camp? You know, all that jazz. But so that being said, uh, if anybody here is attending Oshkosh, uh, who's listening, uh, let us know. Let me know. I'll, uh, I'm planning to keep. Uh, updates on RC Roundtable and my Raviation page. I'll post pictures from my phone, and hopefully by then I'll also uh, start downloading uh, images from my camera right while I'm there, and, and put some galleries together, get it out of the way. So, I, I thought I read that um, there's a new B-29 flying, and it's going to be making an appearance there. Yeah, so Doc. Think, yeah. Doc and Fifi. Will they both be there? Yeah, oh, okay. I think Doc and Fifi oh. will be so there. Basically, that's the only two flying B-29s in the world, right? That is correct. Yeah. Of course, it's going to be there. That's amazing. Yeah. But like I said in uh, talking to you guys, uh, 
you know, hopefully White 33 will be there, the P38 that was uh, rebuilt in Colorado Springs. <laughs> rebuilt. I mean, from scratch. <laughs> if you saw the pictures of it, it was it was buried underground. I, gosh, I hope people can get some of those pictures. That is amazing. And uh, that B seventeen is a bah. Gosh, help me out here. What is it? Uh, not Bailey's bomber. Is it Bailey's bomber? Bally bomber. Bally bomber. Ooh, pardon me for that. But uh, yeah, if you go to to the ballybomber dot com. That is the one-third scale B-17. Oh, that. I know what you're talking oh, about. So yeah, this is yeah. a guy's home-built project. Yeah. So it hasn't flown be. yet? Yeah. He ha- <laughs> it was an accident, too. Oh, he was no. taxiing, and he was just going down for a high-speed taxi run, and it took off. <laughs> so, and, he, and he already got approval to, to, from the uh, FAA, so he went ahead and flew it to the airport that they were going to you know, transfer it to. Hmm. And, and, and the funny part is, like, these people were videotaping it, taxing, and once he got past away, they were waiting for him to turn around, so they just started walking away. And then someone said, look, it's in the air! <laughs> so they, they didn't get video of it. Um, but I'm really looking forward to seeing that. I mean, that's going to be the one of the... I mean, what do you think? That's probably going to be the highlight, next to seeing Doc. But, you know, Doc's been in the news and everything, but to see this, that's cool. I don't know. I think there's... Not to... to take anything away from those planes, but I think they're gonna, there's going to be so much cool stuff there that you can't even read it. You just have to soak it all There up. is a lot of cool stuff, and it, it is Experimental Aircraft Association, so there's a lot of goofy-looking home builds that'll show up, and all kind of neat stuff uh, that, uh, besides the more common type of aircraft, uh, you'll see a lot of unique home builds that, that you may not even know what it is, and maybe the only one flying, but uh, it'll, it'll be just a, a cool experience. Well, have you been there before, Fitz? Yeah, I've been there twice. Okay, I've never been. It's on my bucket list. It's definitely got to go once, at least once in your lifetime. So, Fitz, did you happen to go to the uh, Pete and Pool event that's at Broadhead in Wisconsin? Uh, no, no, I never had a chance to go there. It's an event right before Oshkosh, and my friend Ross, he goes to that first, and then heads over to huh. Oshkosh, the EAA thing. So, he... Highly, highly recommended I go to this. And so I'm, I was looking at pictures and it's, you know, a whole bunch of really cool. You're talking about really unique aircraft. Um, he says, you, you've got to make this. So I actually am starting to think I may have to go another day early. <laughs> I'm adding another day to my trip. So, uh, I'm, I might be heading out to a broadhead for a day and then hightail it over to, uh, yeah. Like Do you know if flight test is going to be there again this year? I don't. I don't know. I have to ask have Austin and see. Have you just yeah, send him a... Have you decided if you're going to bring a model airplane with you? Yeah, I'm going to bring one. The biggest one I've got. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring the Tiger Cat. <laughs> oh, have you flown that thing yet? It hasn't left its box. It's still nesting. You are so <laughs> excited to get that airplane. I am. <laughs> Didn't I have this conversation with uh, Keith? I'm very excited. I've got to finish everything else on my table first. I want to have it on the table and go from start to finish without any interruption. And right now, like just what well, yesterday, I finally finished the the F-16, the darn free wing that's been <laughs> uh, kicking my butt. So I finally got the landing gear on that thing fixed. So I'm hoping to take that to uh, SCOBY to fly. So that one's done. And then I've got the... Um, the P-38 that's on the table. So as soon as that P-38's done, and I think I'm going to test uh, or just check the gear on the Vampire, I'll put the uh, Tiger Cat together. 
Is You're it? scared of it, aren't you? A little bit. You're scared. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm totally. That was a total lie. That was a lie. No. Uh, in fact, your feelings are not alone because uh, my friend Wally, who's got, uh, well, both Wally and Stuart, uh, members of my club, both had their tiger cats out at the club, and and our VP took some photos of it, and it looked great. He keep he was he was noodling me. <laughs> what the what's wrong with you? Because it takes thirty minutes to put that thing together. <laughs> so. Yeah, I it, want to see you hand launch it. <laughs> well, I, I'm also hoping to do a nice little fun video putting that together. So that's that's something for my uh, my other page. Okay. Is it something going on at Scopey? You mentioned Scopey Field. Is there an event or something? Or just... Well, no, they have a they have a runway. Oh, okay. I, I can't I can't take my F-16 off. And and also I'll backtrack to one of our episodes. I'm going to do Terry's uh, upgrade on the landing gear on my Miss America. And see if I can get that thing to finally take off and land on the wheels mm. without nosing over. So I mean, how that works out for you? Are you still going to try it off of grass, or no, is that no, a no, no? I'm going to go to I'm going to go to Scobie's runway and do both of those. Okay. Take the F-16 and Miss America. Cool. All right. Well, uh, thanks for keeping things going while I was gone, guys. I'm happy to be back, and uh, I owe Keith a beer or two. I'll have to pay up on that soon, and. Uh, We'll be back in two weeks. Back in two weeks. All right. Glad you had a good trip. Yeah, me too. I'm waiting for my little toy that you're going to send yeah, me right you you <laughs> Bring us back anything? Yeah, some Scottish coal. <laughs> Scottish coal. How about a, wow. how about a Scottish egg? Yeah. How about that? <laughs> hey, um, did you get my? Did you get the gift I sent you? Oh, yes. You know the answer to that. I, I did. Thank you. Well, the listeners don't know about it. Tell them what we have, Bob. Well, <laughs> maybe it's the way they can spot you at Oshkosh. Well, that's true, too. So, uh, just so you guys know, we have our official RC Roundtable shirts now. Of course, these are the, the staff shirts. There's <laughs> special staff shirts, but uh, my mom embroidered them with her fancy sewing machine. They look really nice. They do. So I will be wearing my RC Roundtable shirt out to Oshkosh, so look for me out there. <laughs> Every, day? <laughs> Every day? Every no. day. Oh, that. <laughs> no, of course not. I'll find you by the smell of the last day. <laughs> So, yeah. so, but my compliments to your mom. Yeah, but just so you know, you know, I, you know, you went to Scotland and you didn't bring me back anything. <laughs> you went to Scotland and all you got was that lousy shirt I sold to give you. <laughs> but so, well, I, I don't want to get off into another discussion. But um, those guys in customs are not fooling around. So <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no rubber gloves were involved. But <laughs> well, on that bombshell. Good night, everybody. Please visit our website at rcroundtable.com where you can send us comments and suggestions and listen to our other great podcasts. Those who live in Las Vegas can listen to us over the radio at the all-new Magic 97.9 FM, KIOF LP Las Vegas.